All right, welcome in here to another episode of The Breakdown, guys. On a Thursday night, a special edition of the show. We're just going to do the summer football preview part of the show tonight because, as you probably guessed, I'm without my co-host, Lewis Metzinger, tonight. He is, of course, on another lavish vacation of his uh, that he's been doing all summer long. It must be nice to have all the time to vacation like he does, but... It's going to be all right. We've got a great show lined up for you tonight, a really fun one. Uh, We're going to be talking Boston College Eagles tonight with our buddy Michael Sullivan of BC Eagle Action of the Rivals Network in BC Heights. He's on the line with us right now, giving us a little bit of his time tonight. Michael, thanks for joining us, buddy. How's it going? Going well. Happy to be here. Great, great. We appreciate you joining us tonight on the program. So Boston College this year uh, coming in, a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the football, um, especially at the quarterback position. But you look at the way they ended last season, rattling off three wins in a row, including including that bowl win over Maryland. This was a, a team, and, and frankly, a head coach in Steve Adazio that a lot of people were thinking last year was really on the hot seat, and then rattles off the three wins in a row at the end of the year. And it seems like at least on the outside that maybe that seat has cooled down a little bit. Uh, what do you think it's, what is it like there um, in Boston with, with Steve Adazio and his Boston College uh, program? Well, it's pretty good. Um, people are really excited about that ending that year on a three-game stretch. Of course, you have to look at the opponents uh, you've got there. They came into that game four and six, the third game, last game four, uh, four and six, played Connecticut, a very bad Connecticut team, one of the worst of the country. And then they go in and play Wake Forest on the road, which, again, Wake Forest was no barn burner in the ACC, but still, at the end of the day, an ACC opponent, something BC has had trouble uh, beating. And they got down there and beat them on the road. And a Maryland team that was really good on the run, uh, not a great defensive team, which was something that BC was able to exploit, especially through the air. Uh, But, you know, at the end of the day, that's BC's first bowl win since 2007. It's a three-game winning streak. is isn't nothing to snuff at when you're – a team that's gone through some struggles there. And it certainly bought Steve Adazio some time. I mean, the, the stat that BC loves touting is that Adazio has been to three bowl games in his first four years. No one's ever done that as a BC head coach. But if you look more at the numbers, of course, you've got a, if you look just, you know, you've got three, seven, and six years, two bowl losses to one bowl win. And then, of course, the disastrous 2015 campaign where they went 0-8 in the ACC. And his ACC record overall isn't great. He's got two, four, and four years, then no and eight and a two and six. And, you know, in terms of what Adazio was expected to do coming into his time at Boston College, he would said, he touted, I'm going to have a five-year plan, and at that point we're really going to be up and coming. And, you know, a lot of programs that really start building from the ground up and need to build from the ground up the way BC uh, needed to do need that five-year plan. I mean, you know, if you want to go back in the history books and talk 30 years ago, uh, Frank Beamer needed that thir- that five, six-year stretch uh, to build Virginia Tech to the consistent contender that it seems to be uh, nowadays. And Virginia Tech didn't have a long history before uh, Beamer. And that's what Adazio tries to emulate. He wants to be a Beamer here. Now, of course, the only question now is his job security in terms of the fact that we've got a new athletic director in Martin Jarman who comes from a football powerhouse. He was the number two at Ohio State, where he was directly in charge of football, basketball, and baseball. He handled all football scheduling. He actually worked with former BCAD Brad Bates uh, to get a BC-Ohio State game scheduled a couple of years down the road. 
Um, so it, the real question is, what is Jarman's patience going to be? And I think if Bates may still be here, you would be able to say, yeah, you know, that momentum from last season will be able to safely, no matter what, probably carry Adazio through this year because he's really familiar with it. But Jarman is an OSU guy. And they're not exactly, he's not going to have the same patience for a team that not maybe, maybe a seven and six team or an eight and four team, uh, the type of team that will make a bowl game could get that patience. But if we're seeing, you know, a, a year where they struggle like they did in 2015, Jarman won't have any tolerance for that. So, it, it all depends on this new athletic director and the type of tone he wants to set uh, very early in his career. Well, let's dive into this Boston College team a little bit. And obviously, we I touched on it a little bit. The quarterback position, gone is Patrick Tolles. Um, and it seems like, again, it's this revolving door at quarterback. Uh, every, or the last four years, the, the first four years of Steve Adazio's tenure at Boston College has been a new quarterback. Every single year this year will be, you know, much of the same. Um, and it looks like possibly Anthony Brown, uh, maybe Darius Wade. What are you hearing at the quarterback position right now for BC? Well, the current front runner for that quarterback position has to be Darius Wade. Uh, Wade has been in the system for several years now. He came in as Tyler Murphy's backup in 2014, where he got the chance to learn the dual threat. And when, when Darius was a quarterback back at high school in Middletown, Delaware, where he won Gatorade High School uh, Delaware Player of the Year, uh, he was mostly a pocket passer. One of his op- big options was actually Chris Godwin, who was the Big Penn State wideout. Um, and... Wade, you know, learned for how to be a runner in 2014 under Murphy to get that sort of dual threat type, and he was supposed to be the starting quarterback in 2015. And when he broke his, he really, you know, he, it was hard for him at the beginning of 2015 because you're going up the first two games that year were against FCS teams, where you know against Maine he he did well, not that great. Um, Maine is a middle of the road FCS team, and then they played Howard and they beat them 76 nothing, and there's really no learning experience to get from that. And then he broke his ankle in week three and was out for the remainder of the year. Um, and then when they brought in told, you know, again, he had to go back to being in the po- being on the sidelines. And he learned how to be a pocket passer again from Tolles. Um, but Darius really impressed people throughout uh, the spring. Um, he was much better than Brown. Brown has a lot of the raw talent and really looks strong uh, with a really strong arm in a lot of practices, but once it got into the spring game, he just didn't really look like he had a feel of the system just yet. He was out of sorts. He had a very low completion percentage. He only did about three or four passes out of about 15 attempts. While Wade looked pretty efficient, he didn't really show off a deep arm. He had had Pennington type power when it comes to that, but mm-hmm. he was very efficient. He completed 16 of 20 for about 150 yards, and really at this point with DC's offense, that's really what you're asking for out of Wade. So I'd be surprised if Anthony Brown started the year at quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if, let's say, down the road, BC's not doing well, Wade's not getting the job, Brown might take over at the end of the year because one one crucial thing about Wade is that he actually graduated from BC undergrad this year. So he'll have two, he has two years of graduate eligibility, and if Brown you know, starts to show something for the end of the year, I wouldn't be surprised if – Wade decided to transfer away from the program. But uh, no doubt about it that Darius will be the starter, barring injury, to start the year. Michael Sullivan, our guest here. You can follow him on, on Twitter, at Michael J. Sully, for the latest on Boston College. Uh, so quarterback, we we kind of know where we're going there at the quarterback position. And it seems like, really, Michael, that's the only big hole 
on this BC offense, it looks like at running back, uh, they've got some guys that they're confident in. Uh, the freshman, A.J. Dillon, who flipped from Michigan to Boston College, I'm hearing great things about him. Uh, the wide receiver core brings almost everybody back. Uh, and the offensive line that was young and inexperienced is now neither young nor inexperienced. Um, so, overall, how do you feel as far as confidence with this BC offense? Well, I mean, it, one one great thing about it is we finally have, I would say, the best skill position players that Steve Adazio has ever had on this team, except for Andre Williams, which, of course, wasn't the, uh, Adazio's player. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was Price Fabiani recruit, of course. Um so he's really got – definitely his recruits are starting to show up. Now, the question is, like, what is the quality of these guys? Because a lot of them have been young and experienced. And now we're going to find out you know, all this time where they got to go into games because Adazio didn't have the players or there were injuries. Like, was this really what they're capable of or was that just the youth and experience that they're showing? At the running back position, you know, we're going to see – Last year with Jonathan Hilleman, he really struggled. He only averaged about 2.6 yards per carry. A.J. Dillon, they brought in a four-star. Um, you know, and A.J. Dillon switched from Michigan to B.C. Because at Michigan, Don Brown really wanted to make him that the Brill-Peppers-type hybrid role where he could play some defense and only come in as a third down. Whereas at B.C., Adazio pitched him as, well, you're going to be an all-down back. So we're going to see what Dillon's capable of. They've also got a great... Uh, another running back that's coming in this year, Travis Levy, who was the Maryland Gatorade Player of the Year um, for football. And he's another running back. He came in as an early enrollee in January and practiced the team and had a real spark. And it's going to be key for Dylan and Levy to come in and replace the roles of Miles Willis and Tyler Rouse, who were really good at backing up Hilleman. But also, they were the main guys on punt and kick return. Now, at the wide receiver position, you've got a really deep, deep core of guys who have been playing for a very long time. There's only one senior on this roster at the wide receiver position, and that's Charlie Callanan, who's probably only about third on the depth chart. You've got speed guys like the former quarterback Jeff Smith, who really broke out last year. He had four touchdowns over 50 yards. You've got guys like Ben Glein, Nolan Borgerson, Kobe White. These are names. These are guys who are young but really fast and guys who are really showing good hands in practice that have, I mean, it looks like they're at least that one step ahead of just thrown into the fire, young and experienced. I think the best receiver on the roster, though, is tight end Tommy Sweeney, who should be in the conversation among the best tight ends in the country. He's going to be BC's number one receiving threat for sure. He's got very sure hands. He's tough. He's quick on his feet. Not exactly the fast, deep threat down the field, but he's the type of guy that you're going to throw the 10-yard slant route, and he's going to be the one getting there. And then as far as the offensive line, I think they had BC had one little setback with left guard Elijah Johnson, who really impressed coming in again for injuries last year. He came in as a true freshman and really was one of the better offensive linemen that Adazio had, but he tore his ACL in spring practice. I'd be, I'd be doubtful for the entire season, definitely at least the first half. Um, Adazio really showed a lot. Of, we saw a lot of growth with right guard Chris Lindstrom, who's going to move over to right tackle. Center John Baker stones a lot, and Baker had to sit out of spring to nurse a shoulder injury that he had. And so Shane Leonard, a true freshman who came in and has always been a center, now he's got a huge trade and really impressed that we've got a true backup center in Shane Leonard where Baker can move over to right guard if that position was right guard now like the weakest position on the offensive line. 
and Baker can go back to his natural position of right guard, and Leonard can come in at center if need be. And they also got left tackle Marcel Lazard from West Virginia. Um, and you know, West Virginia has that big run and gun, Big 12 all offense type. And you know, that's what Scott Lawson, the offensive coordinator, wants to see. I mean, what, one of the keys of that Maryland win in the bowl game was that they decided to switch to no huddle, which is something that was unheard of for Boston College (laughs) in my three years covering the team. I mean, we know that they are a run, run, maybe pass, then punt offense for most of their time. And in that bowl game, we saw what they could do if they just did 60 plays a game. That's what Loeffler wants to bring in. And this offensive line, especially now that Lazard is playing at left tackle and you've got Lindstrom, your best offensive line at right tackle, and right tackle is going to be important because Wade's a lefty and got to protect his blind side there. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is definitely a – they've definitely got the guys for the first time that are able to do this run-and-gun offense. And they really never – even if they wanted to, and I'm not super convinced they really wanted to go that. I know that Adavia's a big fan of pro style. They never really had those guys. Now they have the personnel where if they want to do it, they'll be able to do it. It's kind of one of those situations where when life gives you lemons – you you make really good lemonade, and right yeah, now, absolutely. right now, BC seems like they've got some lemons uh, to make that lemonade with. Michael Sullivan, our guest yeah. here, BC Eagle Action of the Rivals Network and BC Heights. Sorry, Michael, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, it's all theoretical. It's, it's you know, we we think that these guys can they show a lot in practice, um, but you know, if yeah, they have the experience, we just got to find out was what they were showing us useful experience. Or was that just really the, what they're capable of? And it doesn't matter if they've got, if they're freshmen or seniors, that's all they'll be able to get. Exactly. Could totally be different from July 27th to August 27th, we'll, we'll yeah. say. Um, so we talked Absolutely. about the offense, and it seems like the one calling card in Steve Adazio's tenure so far at Boston College has been defense uh, and how well they've been. Uh, last year, you look at defensive efficiency, uh, the Eagles ranked fourth in the country in that stat. So they've always been solid. It looks like this is going to be another solid year, especially on the defensive line. Um, they had a really nice recruiting season at that position, but they do lose some. Um, they do lose some guys at the linebacker position and the defensive backs as well. So when we look at this defense, um, what do you think will be the strength this year of the defense for BC? Well, it's certainly going to start on the off, the defensive line, starting with number seven, Harold Landry, who I know we're talking to a little crowd here, but let's say if Lamar Jackson weren't in the ACC, Harold Landry would probably be the best player and the one we're talking the most about. <laughs> I mean, Landry's just un, he's just unbelievable. The guy set the BP single-season record with uh, with sacks. He had over speed sacks. He forced seven fumbles. He has led the country. I mean, he just creates. Havoc. It's unbelievable what he's able to do. He had a big interception in the bowl game. And, you know, I, I, there's no reason to think that he'll stop now. And then on the other side, if, you know, if everyone's focusing. You, you, the problem is that you can't focus too much on Landry. Because they've got two guys, Zach Allen and Wyatt Ray, the two defensive line and defensive ends who are going to come in and replace Kevin Cavalek on the other side. And Allen arguably could end up being better than Landry at some point. I mean, he's just incredible with his size and speed he's, uh, over 300 pounds but can still be as quick as anyone on the roster and Ray gives them that extra depth uh defensive tackle could be an issue I mean they've lost Truman Goodapple who's a big strong up, uh competitor for them up the middle is one of the better defensive tackles that we don't really get to hear about mostly because Goodapple never had any NFL aspirations in fact he actually lost 125 pounds 
from the, his the bowl game to his graduation because he just decided that football wasn't going to be his professional life, and he looks like a completely different person. But <laughs> defensive tackle with these struggle, they're very they're experienced at defensive tackle. They've got guys like Ray Smith and Noah Merritt who are seniors who have gotten to play a little bit here and there, but they really know the system. Um, at linebacker, I think they've got a good replacement for the speedy Matt Milano who had 16 sacks in 2015 and was a real uh, speed option off the edge and kind of acted like another defensive end. Uh, and his name is Sharif Bright. He's going to replace Milano. He's very fast. Uh, Connor Strahan, a bruising middle, uh, line, middle linebacker. So they're going to be solid there. I think the biggest question is actually the defensive back position. And it's kind of odd to see that because, you know, the guy who's been gotten, who's gotten drafted highest the last two years for BC's defense has been the defensive back. You've got uh, Justin Simmons, who went in the third round in 2016. You've got John Johnson, who went in the third round last year. So they've had a lot of good defensive backs, and this core is actually is the only core on the roster that's entirely made up of seniors. And Isaac Yidem, Cameron Moore, Gabriel McClary, whose father was actually the lead singer of the Commodores, <laughs> and Will Harris, who's a junior, uh, also playing safety, uh, and Lucas Dennis, another junior. So it's an upper class in the secondary. But they were terrible last year. In twenty fifth, one of the biggest keys for BC defense was in the change from twenty fifteen to twenty sixteen. Even though they won three more, four more games, was that in twenty sixteen they only gave up six plays of over thirty yards that ended up in the score the entire season. Only six. Wow. In twenty sixteen, that number almost quadrupled, and a lot of that had to do with the secondary. I mean. One thing you noticed in 2015 with this defense is when they're playing good teams, they were holding them close. No, I mean, in, if you go back to 2015, they had a number four Notre Dame team and they held them to 19-16. Duke was a 9-7 game. Louisville was a 17-14 game. Clemson, uh, they had they actually were the close played Clemson closer than anyone except Alabama with the 34-17 score in that 2015 season. And then you go to this this past year. And you talk about Deshaun Watson and Lamar Jackson and DeAndre Francois and Jared Evans, those four teams in Louisville, Clemson, Florida State, and Virginia Tech, and they lose by a combined score of 202 to 24. And mm. it all came down to those secondary, those big passing plays that they just weren't giving up the previous year, and they were giving up a lot last this year. And overall, they have a lot of – there's less depth in that or because now Simmons is gone, Johnson is gone, you know, they, these are the younger guys that are now playing. And if, you know, they want, BC wants to have any success defensively, it's going to come down to that defensive back. They cannot give up big passing plays, especially to, um, you know, you're gonna, you're, you know you're going to get it against Lamar. You know you're going to get it against Francois. Um, but when it comes down to your replacements in Clemson, your replacements in Virginia Tech, and all the other quarterbacks, you just can't be giving up those big plays. So that's going to be the key to this defense. But – is Howard Landry can keep playing the way he's capable of playing as the potential probable first-round pick. I, they're, they're, they'll at least be a very good defense, but it's defensive action to make them great. Uh, what do you think, and, and I was thinking about this as you were answering that question about the defense, and we talked about how, how good they've been as a unit, as a whole unit, for, it seems like since Steve Adazio got to Boston College. What do you think the difference has been, Michael, in just the or the reasoning maybe behind the fact that the defense has performed very well and the offense has been so anemic for the past couple of seasons? Is it is it recruiting? Is it just style of play? What do you think it is that contributes to that? 
Well, I hate to give excuses to Adazio or the coaching staff. However, it, it, BC is not an easy school to recruit at. Mm-hmm. It's the academic things that are out of Adazio's control, um, people, you know, the, the, the administration makes it very tough when it comes to academic restrictions. We may be seeing that. We saw that with their – actually, we just saw that with their hockey team. They had a player named Ely Tolvanen who was coming from Finland, and he ended up being a first-round pick in the NHL draft, and BC was going to come to BC, and they said no because of academic reasons. And, you know, it's not at every school that you're going to turn down a first-round pick yeah. because of academic reasons. So, you know, that that's definitely a restriction. You know, BC facilities still aren't great. They are finally putting the investment on that front. They got an indoor pra- they're building an indoor practice facility which should be ready probably by 2018. It's a very simple structure, but it's an indoor practice facility and the school in Boston certainly needs one. Mm-hmm. Uh, finally, it, the, the ACC school that absolutely needs one has is going to get one. Um, that'll help be a big help. Um, and so again, they don't have there's, there's a problem with the natural you know, surrounding. New England is no hotbed for offensive talent for sure where they can where they can get success usually is an offensive line talent that new england breeds pretty good offensive linemen um when you're comparing them to the other positions at least and that's that's where i would say that that's been on Dazio. you gotta really close that gate on new england when it comes to uh, that position but where they're succeeding now in the recruiting trail is is, is in new jersey they have a coach, uh, defensive backs coach, Anthony Campanelli, whose brother coaches at one of the major New Jersey Catholic schools. They're really going to try to go after that. And that, that's where we're going to, that's where we see guys like Nolan Borgerson and good wide receiver who actually hold five of the six major New Jersey wide receiving state records. Um, you know, that, that's where they're going to start attacking. Um, and when you're talking about the comparison between the offense and the defense over Dazio's career, I mean, one big factor was Don Brown. We know how good Don, we, Don Brown, of course, mm-hmm. is so good that Jim Harbaugh snapped him up as his defensive coordinator. One thing I will give kudos to Adazio for doing is even on the new defensive coordinator, Jim Reed, they really haven't changed their defensive mentality. They're really doing the same type of schemes that made them so successful uh, when Brown was at BC. And then offensively, I think a lot of it has to do with just you know sticking to that pro-style plan. I think we've seen... Very drastically during Adazio's tenure, the shift from the ground and pound type offense to the spread. And, you know, Adazio spent the, has had his biggest success in the SEC where they're not doing spreads. They're doing quarterback runs under Tim Tebow when he was offensive line coach and offensive coordinator. I mean, that's what the SEC is known for. The ACC is now the big spread league. I mean, like, that's where you see guys where big quarterbacks like. Watson and Jackson and Francois. I mean, like that, you just have to adjust. And Adavia was slow to adjust. But I think now we're going to see if he commits with Loeffler to that offensive strategy that he says he wants to do. And he, he's definitely made no mistake that he wants to be no huddle. Um, now then we should see that change. So I think that it's just that slow adjustment. And now he's fully committed to it. And it should pay dividends for these Michael Sullivan, our guest here, guys. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael J. Sully. Michael, we're going to get you get a couple more, and then we'll get you out of here. Um, okay. As the as the Eagles prepare to open up uh, fall camp, uh, I know Louisville opens uh, opened officially yesterday. The, the first practice will be Monday. I, I assume BC's on a almost similar schedule. Yeah, that's the same. Uh, okay, so as we get ready to open fall camp, what is the one 
I don't know if we can call it a storyline, but what is the one thing that you're going to be watching and paying attention to closely with this BC team? I mean, it's got to be that offensive line. I think uh, Marcel Lazard is going to be the key to this, how a lot of this season turns out. Left tackle was a huge problem for the Eagles last year, and they brought in a grad transfer named Jimmy Lowry who played at Eastern Illinois, and he was Jimmy Garoppolo's left tackle in college. And I know we're talking FCS, but at the end of the day, I mean, Garoppolo, there's a reason Garoppolo is good because he got blocked in college and was able to throw for 4,000 yards. Right. So if, if Lazard can give that kind of protection – to Wade that should trickle down to the rest of the offensive line. But we haven't seen any of him. I mean, he's, he's just arrived at camp now. He didn't practice at all spring. He, he didn't practice with West Virginia in the spring. So it's been a long time he's actually been doing these drills with in pads with competition. So I think he's the biggest key to – if he can succeed, it'll give Wade more confidence, and that should let the whole offense match. We look at this BC schedule, Michael. Uh, the out-of-conference, not very daunting, at Northern Illinois, uh, Notre Dame, Central Michigan, and Connecticut on the schedule this year for the Eagles. And you look at their ACC schedule, uh, they do play at Clemson, at Louisville, but have Florida State and NC State uh, at home. So when you look at this schedule, if you had to look in your crystal ball right now, what are you projecting, what do you think is reasonable to expect from this BC team this season? Well, one of, this is, I mean, and this is the big issue because last year, one reason that BC was able to be successful is that it had one of the easiest schedules in the country. The FC, their, their entire non-conference was incredibly weak. They played UConn and UMass and FCS teams, and it just was not a strong out-of-conference schedule whatsoever. And now they're talking about a schedule that turns out to be the eighth strongest in the country. Um, that's going to be a big difference that uh, it's going to reflect negatively. I would expect something in the realm of five and seven, six and six. Um, I think that that Northern Illinois game is crucial. They played Northern Illinois two years ago, and with an offense that's much worse than this one, squeaked out a win, that's seven, uh, a 17-14 win. Mm-hmm. So I know DeKalb is not an easy place to win, but that should be, you know, if, if they can win that game, it should give confidence to the rest of the season. I think Wake's a winnable game. Um, they they played. They beat them on the road last year. They're, they're, I don't think Wake is super improved this year. I mean, if Wake if Wake is improved, BC is also improved. That's the way I think of it. Like mm-hmm. if you're if you're, you're going to recognize what Wake's doing, you got to recognize what BC's doing. Uh, I don't think Notre Dame is out of the realm of possibility. I mean, everyone has been citing the fact that they turned 18 and 22 starters, but they also returned 18 and 22 starters from a team that went four and eight, as right. everyone likes to remind themselves of, and they don't have to show Kaiser which at the end of the day, you're, you don't have your quarterback. I mean, that's, that's the position that you need to see the most consistency from. Uh, I see Virginia as a winnable game. I think Virginia is going to be the worst team in the ACC this year. Um, I, I, just, I, I believe in Bronco Mendel Hall overall, but I just don't think he's got the tools, even with the game being on the road. Um, so Virginia is a winnable one. Uh, Central Michigan shouldn't be a problem. UConn will be very easy. I mean, UConn, I think UConn also is arguably the worst team overall in the nation. Yes. Um, so UConn, even though that, that game is a quote-unquote road game, but at Fenway Park you should expect more BC fans than UConn fans. And uh, I guess Syracuse is more of a toss-up. I actually don't think they're going to win that Syracuse game. I like what Dino Babbers is doing with his offense. I think Eric Dungey is a very good quarterback. But I would be surprised if they could win that game in the Carrier Dome. So I, I would lock, certainly lock it in for Central Michigan, Wake, 
Virginia, uh, Northern Illinois, UConn, and then Notre Dame and Syracuse are those, those are your toss-up games. And then NC State too. I mean, NC State is the ten-time defending ACC dark horse champion. <laughs> so we'll, we'll 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 see what NC State ends up doing. I, that, and that here that's another fun set. Um, Adagio has had his struggles, of course, over the years in the ACC. Uh, the coach that he has the winning record against is Dave Doris. And I distinctly remember a Charlotte <laughs> Observer article column that said that BC should be kicked out of the ACC when turn around and you look at the three sports that matter the most in the ACC in basketball, baseball, and football, and BC's plus North Carolina State. So I think NC State generally has a lot of nerve coming after BC. <laughs> Um, when they haven't had much success themselves. So, uh, I, especially since that game's at home, uh, you know, BC also beat them last year. So, NC State's not out of the realm of possibility, but, you know, they're the dark horse, so we'll see. They are, uh, but those five that I mentioned earlier, those are probably state blocks. They are the forever dark horse. You're right on that one. Michael Sullivan, our guest here. Michael, we appreciate the time so much tonight, brother. Thank you, and uh, hopefully we'll no get problem. you on the Any week time. of the game. Yep, absolutely. All right, sounds good. Thanks, Michael. No problem. Take care. Michael Sullivan there, our guest here on The Breakdown, talking a little bit of Boston College football with us. That's all the time we've got for tonight, guys. Like I said, uh, no Lewis, so he's on another uh, one of his many vacations. Uh, I swear, I haven't seen a kid take as many vacations as this guy has. But, you know, he also works hard, so... He deserves it. He deserves to uh, to take a vacation and spoil himself if he wants to. So thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, make sure you share out that podcast. If you're listening on iTunes, just hit the share button at the bottom there and uh, let everybody hear what's going on on this show. For Lewis, I'm Taylor. This has been another episode of The Breakdown. Thanks so much for listening, guys, and we will talk to you next week. But now I know where this will go. 